This is the Generations Broadcast. This is Kevin Swanson, your host. Adam McManus from theworldview.com with me on this edition. And today we're going to touch on the death culture bearing out in the euthanasia rage in Canada and the United States. But ideas have consequences. Worldviews inevitably result in the changes of culture and the development of, well, the euthanasia rage. And we just came out of the celebration of the Day of the Dead, wrongly entitled Halloween, which is All Saints Day Eve, but ultimately the celebration of the Day of the Dead, which has gone on for nine to 4,000 years. But uh, what's interesting, this year is the satanic genre dominates the box office more than any other year that I'm aware of. The nation's movie theaters handled five to six films on the themes of witchcraft and horror. These films netted 70% of total box office receipts over the weekend. That's a lot, yeah. That compares to just 12% given over to horror on the same week a year ago. That's a massive increase for a Halloween weekend. That's huge. 70% of total box office receipts dedicated to satanic genre. Uh, That's significant, highly significant. I just want to just briefly, before we take the break, Adam, I want to go over the history of film because I, I do this because I think it's nice to see the trends such that we understand the development of the zeitgeist and the cultural trends of the day. We can't see this if you just look at a single year, but if you look at the trends in terms of movie producing and other forms of music and such, we begin to determine the worldview that's developing for the modern age. Now, movies have moved from real people to fake people to dead people. That's pretty much the simplistic way to put it. Uh, yeah, the transition has worked from drama to sci-fi to horror. I think that's it. Drama to sci-fi to horror as the predominant genres. Incredible. And I'll tell you the film genre that we should be proud of, at least in its original incarnation, is the Western genre. It's a uniquely American contribution to the cinema. It was all about the good guys getting the bad guys, the bad guys being redeemed, the fair maiden being rescued from the bad guys. There was a big emphasis in the 1930s through 60s on Westerns and how there ultimately was a sense of hope. Yeah, yeah. Think of Gene Autry. Gene Autry. Roy Rogers. John Wayne. Uh, These things ended well. Uh, Yeah, a true grit, you know, all the way into the 1960s. These were the film genres that dominated on the screen in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Real people, pretend stories, but happy endings. Now, that was really big from the 1930s to 1960s. And you get into the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, we're watching war movies, probably harking back to World War II. Real people reenacting real dramas that occurred in real life. There were biblical epic films of the 1950s, 1960s. Remember those? Some of them got Academy Awards. Ten Commandments was one that we watched religiously, pardon the pun, in in the McManus home in Stamford, Connecticut. As a child, I was just absolutely enraptured by the story, and it made the time of the Jewish slavery in Egypt and their exodus and God's communication of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and Moses' various foibles and his level of anger toward Aaron and the others who made the golden calf, it all made it come alive in a way that was 
impressive and powerful in the in the visual genre. And you think of Ben Hur, Spartacus. There were others. Epic films from the nineteen fifties to nineteen sixties. Disaster films, nineteen seventies, eighties, nineties. Talking about airport, Titanic, Towering Inferno. So these were dramas. These were real people, pretend stories, but usually happy endings. These were dramatic presentations on the silver screen. And we're talking from the 1930s into the 1990s. Then we move into the sci-fi fantasy genre. That's where we are today. It's almost all sci-fi fantasy for a period of time. I'm going to say from roughly 2010 to 2019. Top movies, 2019, all three were sci-fi fantasy. 2018, nine out of the top 13 top grossing films were sci-fi fantasy. Five out of the top five were sci-fi fantasy in 2018. But you go back to 2008, three out of the top 13 films were sci-fi fantasy. 1988, zero out of the top 13 films were sci-fi fantasy. So 30 years ago, none of the top 30 or 13 films uh, were sci-fi fantasy films. Most of them were comedy, some drama, some adventure films. Now, don't miss this, folks. 300% increase in escape fantasy films in 10 years. About a million percent increase in escape fantasy films over a period of 30 years. Now, why is this? Because man is increasingly disconnecting himself from reality. That's it. He's increasingly saying, you know what? I cannot relate anymore to real-life stories of real-life people in real time saving the fair maiden or what have you. Rather, man is disconnecting himself from this universe, and he wants to create parallel universes for himself because he cannot deal with a true and living God and the reality that this creator has created for us. Man is escaping reality. He's hiding from God in the garden, and we are in a massively escapistic society today. But now what's interesting is we're moving, as I said, from real people to fake people or fake persons or fake entities, whatever these sci-fi monsters, superheroes are, into dead people. That's where we're moving because the horror genre is taking over in the American mind. The modern horror genre, the slasher film genre, begins in the early 1970s with Wes Craven. Wes Craven is a Wheaton College graduate. He's a Christian apostate. Typically, it's Christian apostates that take the world the wrong direction. That's the way it works in popular music. That's the way it works in media. That's the way it works in popular literature. That's the way it worked. Uh, according to my book, Apostate, The Men Who Destroyed the Christian West, I go through popular culture. I go through the philosophers and, of course, the great literary giants of the 19th century, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Shakespeare, and others, that take the world in the wrong direction. But the modern horror genre comes from Wes Craven. He's a Wheaton College graduate. There's one thing to be aware of, that we're not just talking about slasher films that offer gratuitous violence as entertainment, which is bad enough. I mean, that people would want to pay money to see people killed in very gory ways with all kinds of blood spurting and pain, etc. I mean, there's one thing where you have suspense in the old Alfred Hitchcock sense of suspense, but he rarely depicted an actual murder. I mean, you just heard the gun go off. You didn't actually see the gun rip through the person's body, much less the Terminator type of mow down 50 people in, in one fell swoop. But the secondary concern about the horror genre, Kevin, is that there is a combination of the violence with sexual titillation, with sexual arousal. Typically, the 
person who is the slasher. There's some element of sexual tension at play underneath the surface or even in a more dramatic way. What we're doing is young 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old boys, young men are being exposed to these things, perhaps which is just tragic, being brought in there by their own parents, which I think is horrifying. They are being trained to be future rapists, in so many words, to think that there is a place for violence in a romantic relationship. I would not be surprised if there was not a causal link between exposure to many of these horror films and uh, future domestic violence or even uh, sexual assault and rape. And it's appropriate to say, I think, that the horror genre is the very worst of all, we're at the very bottom. When we arrive at the horror genre, as created by Wes Craven, graduate from Wheaton College, he started with The Last House on the Left in 1972, and then 1977, The Hills Have Eyes, A Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984, Scream in 1996, and on and on it goes. Well, as far as the horror genre is concerned, the purpose of the horror film is to elicit dread and fear in the presence of evil. In fact, the very best, quote-unquote, Horror films will convince the audience of the ultimate sovereignty of evil. In such films, the evil is not vanquished and cannot be vanquished, as there is no sovereign God operating. I'm reading from my little book, The Tattoo Jesus, on the horror genre. And so in such films, the evil is not vanquished. In the 12 episodes of Friday the 13th, Jason simply cannot die. He comes back to life again and again. Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street, returns to the Dream world nine times for more murder and mayhem. Somehow this disembodied spirit is able to reach from the dream world into the real world to kill without restraint. In the six films produced by the Child's Play series, the disembodied spirit of the serial killer inhabits a doll called Chucky and continues his evil work. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 16 films now, and it just keeps going. Then the highly successful Paranormal Activity series clearly attributes... Unlimited power, control to demons, allowing for no hope whatsoever through Christian exorcism or the sovereign God. These movies are meant to be even more frightening than the original supernatural horror film, The Exorcist, in which a demon takes the upper hand over the Roman Catholic Sons of Siva Department of Exorcists. Uh, Thus, evil gradually becomes omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent in the minds of those who participate. As the communicant in the theater, and I speak of them as communicant because I think it's something of a sacramental experience, the communicant submits himself to the power of this evil. He responds in appropriate fear. Herein lies the danger of the genre. What you fear is what you worship, and who you fear is fundamental to the biblical definition. And so as you fear evil, guess what? You wind up worshiping evil, and that's how Americans come to worship the devil. The horror genre is especially problematic because the object of fear is something besides God. The fear of man brings a snare, but whosoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. That's Proverbs 29, 25. The ultimate horror, by the way, of the horror film is what it does to the hearts of those who play with it. If God is not sovereign over the evil actions of men and demons in the minds of these men, then evil is sovereign. In this case, all things do not work together for good by the sovereign will of God. By the rationale of these stories, God's right to define good and evil is forfeited, so the distinction between good and evil fades. So there it goes. At root, the horror genre waters down our sensitivity to the real reality, the real horror, the true horror, the horror of sin, the horror of the cross, and the overwhelming victory achieved over evil at the cross. Well, you can get the full story on discerning these forms, these genres, 
movies, music, etc. In my book, The Tattoo Jesus, What Would the Real Jesus Do with Pop Culture? That book available at Generations.org. We'll be back in just a moment. We're going to look at the death culture as it works out into euthanasia in Canada and elsewhere around the world today in just a moment on the Generations Broadcast. What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live You can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org slash store today. That's generations.org slash store. And we are back on the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you, also Adam McManus. Today, talking about the focus on death, the death of the West, realized most noticeably in the increase in despair deaths. The rate of drug overdose deaths in America has increased, what, 400% in the last 20 years, but 29-fold in the last 35 years. The suicide rate increased 38% over the same period. 100,000 Americans died of drug overdose in 2021. That's gone from 1 per 100,000 in 1970 to 3 per 100,000 to 29 per 100,000 since the year 2000. That's a 29-fold increase. Now, 140,000 Americans died of alcohol in 2021. That's uh, gone from 5 per 100,000 in 2000 to 41 per 100,000 in 2021. That's a nine-fold increase. But wow, the drug overdose deaths increased from 1 per 100,000 in 1965 to 29 per 100,000 in 2021. That's a 29-fold increase in the rate. That's really astounding that we have that significant increase now, back in 1965, it's the pop stars. It's Janis Joplin, Judy Garland, Dinah Washington, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Rudy Lewis of the Drifters. These were the people that were dying of drug overdoses. Now it's everybody, meaning all kinds of people. Uh, a 29-fold increase. 29-fold increase. Can you believe that? A 29-fold increase on the rate of drug overdose deaths since 1965. I'm not sure there is any index that has changed that significantly since 1965. Well, you need to remember that opioids are especially addictive and can put someone out down for the count very quickly. And then the new one, fentanyl, that is coming across our border and people are taking it not even knowing what it is. Kids are thinking it's something that'll make them feel good or feel high and the next thing, someone's dead. So this is not the drug use of yesteryear that you know we're familiar with, where it was marijuana or cocaine or heroin. This is 
This is stuff that, I mean, not that cocaine and heroin aren't serious drugs. They are. But this is a whole new level. And I think we touched on this a few days ago or a few weeks ago that uh, the longevity, the age expectancy of the average American today has fallen off three years in the last two years, just since 2020. And a, a significant portion of that are despair deaths. And that could include obesity, but it certainly includes the problem of drug overdose and alcohol abuse. These sorts of things have contributed to a significant fall, the first significant fall off in 25 years, and arguably the first significant fall off in 100 years of, of gradual improvement on age expectancy in the United States of America and throughout the Western world. We're looking at a nation, folks, that is in despair, a nation that is suicidal, a nation that has lost a will to live, a civilization that is dead and dying. That's why I wrote the book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, and a significant portion of the first chapter is dedicated to the death of the West, the death wish, the focus in on death. And boy, is that happening in Canada now. Now the governments are capitulating to it. The institutions themselves are supporting it. If you can't beat them, join them. I guess that's the philosophy used by these governments like Canada that's on board to increase the occurrence of doctor-assisted suicide now. When you reject the hope of Christ and you reject the need for a relationship with God through whom you can find forgiveness of sin and a clean slate and an assurance of an eternal address in heaven, there is reason for despair. There is reason to lose hope. And so it's a logical progression to get to despair deaths. But the story that captured the attention of uh, many Americans was what Tucker Carlson reported. I know you've got a clip about a 23-year-old young man named Keanu Vafayan who was depressed, diabetic, had lost vision in one eye, didn't have a job, didn't have a girlfriend. Let's listen to that Tucker Carlson piece. So Margaret Marsili is a mother who lives outside Toronto, Canada. She's got a 23-year-old son who suffers from depression and diabetes. Also, he doesn't have a girlfriend. On that basis alone, doctors have just approved her son's assisted suicide. A doctor called Joshua Tepper signed off on it to kill the boy because he's sad and doesn't have a girlfriend. We know this because of the Substack Common Sense. You can read the details, and you should. They're shocking. This is about to become a lot more common in Canada as a way of cutting down on health care costs. By March, a new law in Canada is expected to allow children to be killed by doctors, by state doctors, without the approval of their parents. This seems like a very big change in Western civilization. All right, so that's it. Big change in Western civilization is what uh, our good friend from Fox News tells us, and he should read the book, The Rise and Fall of the West, because this is an indication of the fall of Western civilization. No getting around it. Uh, so a shocking story, though. Here's uh, a man who's got diabetes, but uh, he doesn't have a girlfriend. That's one reason why he's uh, applied to uh, this doctor-assisted suicide, and apparently at least one doctor is on board with it. Joshua Tepper was the doctor who had emailed him this very cold and unemotional email back on September 7th saying, please arrive at 8.30 a.m., I'm confirming the following timing. I will ask for the nurse at 8.45 a.m., and I will start the procedure at around 9 a.m. Procedure will be completed a few minutes after it starts. Pretty cold. Well, 
the mother, Margaret Marcilla, of Keanu, the depressed 23-year-old Canadian man, discovered this because Keanu's sister had been given access to his email account, and she asked for her to look into his email account to see if there was something amiss, which he sensed there was. In late July, he had been approved for this medical assistance and dying procedure, and it was scheduled for September 22nd. She pleaded with her son not to go through with this. He said he was upset that his confidential email correspondence with Joshua Tepper, the doctor, had been compromised, but he said he was going to go through with it because he wanted to die. And so she initiated, to her credit, Margaret Marcilla, a gigantic social media campaign that resulted in all kinds of personal emails and texts and calls to his office to the doctor, Joshua Tepper, who complained to Keanu that his mother's social media campaign was disrupting his business and his workflow, basically asking him to ask her to call off the dogs. But of course, she was fighting for his life as she should be as a, as a mama bear. Joshua Tepper, the doctor, ultimately withdrew his decision to kill him. And at this point, Keanu is actively looking for another doctor in Canada to kill him. But boy, you know, you look back on his life, not surprisingly, his parents had gotten divorced when he was still a kid. She had given him at his 16th birthday a BMW, and he got in a terrible car accident at 17, began smoking weed, went blind in his left eye, and that was really the tipping point, became very depressed. A formal assessment was given by Tepper initially, which is, listen to this, Kevin, the doctor was willing to do this assessment, this alleged comprehensive medical assessment of Keanu's mental and physical well-being remotely by video. I mean, this shows you what a factory, the production of the deaths in Canada has become. I mean, in the first year of this medically assistance and dying law being in effect in 2017, doctors killed 2,838 people. And then in 2021, the figure jumped to 10,064 people, which accounts for more than 3% of all deaths in Canada that year. And here's the shocking number of all. Since the beginning of these medically assistance and dying cases, where the doctors are killing the patients, 31,664 people have been killed. I've got an article here from LifeSite News. The headline alone is disturbing. Canada has a shortage of grim reapers to meet the demand for assisted suicide. They don't have enough doctors who are willing to do the killings of people who want to be killed. There's 10,000 killings that occurred just in uh, last year. That's five times the number of people killed in auto accidents in Canada last year. That's more than those who die of diabetes, chronic lower respiratory disease each year in Canada. Canadians are killing themselves right and left by doctors who assist their suicide, my friends. Canada's leading the pack on the euthanasia vision for the Western world. And, and I guess I understand beginning in March of 2023, that's next year, people with mental illness will be able to commit suicide with the help of a doctor paid for by Canadian tax dollars. So this thing's just getting out of control. And not just that, if that's not bad enough, I mean, someone's depressed, they're anxious, and a doctor's going to be willing to kill them. The financial reason is that they're having that much less treatment, that much less worry 
because they're now they're dead. So the medical system is thrilled that we can just bump off people. We don't have to care for them anymore. Here's an interesting story from a European news source that uh, I picked off, and I think you sent this to me. Impoverished people are now turning to the Canadian euthanasia law out of desperation because they cannot access the resources they need or the treatments they require in Canada's broken health care system. Now, this is a European news source. The Toronto Star... The largest, most liberal newspaper in the country called this the Hunger Games-style social Darwinism. Here's just one sad story the journal presents. Now listen, 63-year-old Alan Phillips has lived with chronic pain for almost two decades, recently got approved for assisted suicide after trying for 18 years to get spinal fusion surgery to relieve his agony. <laughs> 18 years. He cannot get the surgery and has been prescribed opioids instead. He says, I cannot get adequate health care. I'm fed opioids and I left to kill myself. So I asked the euthanasia law to kill me. And they said, sure. So the socialist health care system really kicking in at this point. You know, you got to love it. You know, everybody voted for Obama. Everybody voted for Obamacare. Got to love it. The single payer system will, uh, I think, accomplish the euthanasia vision just fine. Thank you very much. This is where we're headed as a country, Adam. It's not just that people who have mental challenges, who are depressed or anxious, will be able to kill themselves. The next line that Canada is about to cross is children will be euthanized without parental consent. And they're very vague about it. They say if if a minor is demonstrably mature, quote-unquote, there's no specific age. doesn't say 14, 16, 17. It just says if a minor under the age of 18 is demonstrably mature, the doctors can sign off on the child being killed by the doctor without the knowledge of the parent. I mean, this is as gruesome as it gets. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. You know, I'm thinking back to 1981. Okay, it's 1981. I'm in Santa Maria, California. I write my first letter on the pro-life issue in 1981 to the Santa Maria Times. I was printed in the letters to the editor section of the newspaper. I was 17 years old. I used the slippery slope ethical argument. It's a logical fallacy, or is it? I was so concerned, and this, this was my argumentation, it could have been better argumentation, but hey, I'm 17 years old. Okay, so I, I'm writing in the Santa Maria Times, and I'm complaining about abortion. And I said, well, abortion is only going to lead to euthanasia, the killing of the elderly and the rest of us. That was my argument. <laughs> now, now, you go into you know Wikipedia, some of the definitions of slippery slope logical fallacies, and what they're saying is, It's an argument in which a party asserts that a relatively small first step leads to a chain of related events culminating in some significant, usually negative effect. Okay, now, did I make a slippery slope fallacy here, Adam? Is abortion a relatively small step? Okay, we didn't used to kill babies. Now we start killing babies. That doesn't sound like a relatively small step to me. It's a logical conclusion that if we're going to kill babies... We it's obviously are devaluing life in the womb when you would be most likely to want to protect it because, by definition, that child has its entire life ahead of him or her. When we're talking about euthanasia, typically it is toward the end of life. This 23-year-old Keanu is perhaps an exception to that rule, dealing with depression and loss of vision and not having a girlfriend or a job. But most people who are interested in euthanasia tend to be the elderly, toward the end of their life, maybe dealing with 
pain issues like the man you cited. But my point is, hey, if, if we're okay, morally speaking, with killing a baby with his or her entire life ahead of them, then why would we not be quick to, for lack of a better phrase, pull the trigger and kill a man or a woman toward the end of their life? Exactly. And I would argue that killing babies, even in the case of rape and incest for the sins of their parents, was also a significant moral breach. And once you step over that line, and that's what society did in 1973 when abortion was legalized in all 50 states— uh, it's really hard to stop it. Uh, we need to step back and ask ourselves, when are we shoving society off onto an icy precipice? And that's what happened when we opened the door to killing babies. During the Weimar Republic, okay, let's go all the way back and, and look at the slippery slope of the Weimar Republic and the, the Nazis that eventually contributed to the slaughter of some 6 million Jews. During the Weimar Republic, such discussions led to a reduction in the maximum penalty for abortion in 1926. A court decision, similar to the UK decision R.V. Bourne, decriminalized abortion in cases of danger to the life of the mother. By 1938, the Nazis had legalized abortion for the Jews. Okay, that's 1938. Now follow the timeline here. In October of 1939, so 1938, the Nazis have legalized abortion for the Jews. In October of 1939, that's the next year, the Nazis started murdering mentally ill patients, patients with hereditary diseases, people with uh, disabilities, etc., etc. In June 24th of 1941, German soldiers began killing Jews by the thousands in Russian towns. In July 31st of 1941, the final solution was being organized. August of 1941, Jews in Kovno, Lithuania, Eliminated. September 3rd, 1941, first gassings in Auschwitz. Okay, so all of that came about in about three years. 1938, they're okaying abortion for Jews. By 1941, the final solution has begun in Auschwitz. And the rest is history. That's right. And here in America, we need to remember that there are nine states and Washington, D.C., that allow for medically assisted suicide now. So this is just not a Canadian issue. We're talking about California. That's right. California, Colorado, Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington State, in addition to the District of Columbia. And even Belgium and the Netherlands, compared to Canada, require physicians to pursue mental illness treatment options with their patients. But in Canada, as of March of 2023, they are going to give the green light to killing people who have a momentary bout of depression or anxiety or fill-in-the-blank that can be treated through counseling and group therapy, perhaps medication, perhaps a combination thereof. And most importantly, as you and I would contend, a relationship with God and plugged into accountability within the local church. What's going on here, friends, is there's a worldview operating the more fundamental problem is evolution. And some, some people are going to say, what, evolution? How does evolution tie into this? Well, once you have configured man to be nothing but materialism, a man is cosmic dust floating around the universe of cosmic dust, man has lost a sense for the value of life. I, I hear so many anecdotal stories of pro-lifers on street corners 
including people in our church who've had the pulse on young people today. Most young people, I think this is accurate to say, most young people today off the street are okay with killing babies. Let me say that one more time. Most young people today, you ask them. I don't think they're, they're just, I think they just say it. They, they're not going to be acting as if this is some kind of a wild-eyed statement. They're just going to say what they believe. And most young people today, I think, will say it. We're okay with killing babies, infanticide. Killing people is okay. They've crossed the threshold. Why? Because they have been convinced that we are nothing but animals. No, wait. We're nothing but cosmic dust floating around a universe of pure chance. Mass murder, mass programs, mass genocides are okay per the postmodern mind. And this will most likely happen in a post-Christian world as it did in post-Christian Germany in the 1930s. Man has committed epistemological, teleological, ethical suicide, my friends. And at this point, the only hope is the doctrine of the resurrection. The only hope is the doctrine of the creation in that there is a creator who created us in his image, and he sent his son to die on the cross to reconcile us to himself such that we would, will not have to die, but we will rise from the dead because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are not those who celebrate the day of the dead. We are those who celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week, each and every Sunday. Friends, that worldview has got to break through and utterly crush the worldview of death, materialism, evolution, that has so consumed the modern mind. We have got to preach the gospel of resurrection and life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to consume, to, to press into, to crush the other worldview that is now destroying our civilizations. It's the gospel message that absolutely must come through. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast, friends. You can interact with this by emailing me directly at host at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.